0: It's eight o'clock, so let's get started. Alpha, are you recording I
1: am recording?
0: So full disclosure so everyone knows this, this session is being recorded. Welcome to GM eight oh one. We have uh, as guests as get our panelists tonight. We have Devin, who is Donnie. we have Gavin and Coco Puff Alpha are Hello. Here to answer your questions and read life into some NPCs for us.
1: It is now, I, Coco Puff. Hey? It is I, Cocoa Puff.
0: <laughs> yes, here's, that was Cocoa Puff. Could we hear a word from uh, Devin, please?
1: Well met,
2: adventurers. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and um, Gavin?
2: Uh, so this is Gavin. I don't actually do accents, and I'm happy to get into why I don't. Yes,
1: do you, inferior. Just not <laughs> with without talent. It's very clear. Very very clear.
0: Oh, the gauntlet has been thrown down, but I assure everyone that uh, that there are there's reasons for these three panelists tonight. They all bring something um, unique to the table, and uh, we'll have a full um, a fulsome discussion and, and range of options of how to breathe life into your NPCs. So we do have questions happening in the GM eight hundred one questions chat. Please post your questions in there, and if you see a question that you like, please be sure to give it a thumbs up as a vote so we make sure that we get to that one. Uh, I've also suggested that if you have a favorite NPC with or without voice, please note it here and we can put our uh, panelists on the spot and ask them to either play that character or talk a little bit about that character and what makes them tick. We also have the seminar chat uh, section, which is where you can carry on conversations in the background. Uh, but do try to mark your questions with a queue uh, so that I do see them in the data one questions section. Now, without further ado, let's dive in. And um, there were a few there were a few uh, questions that were um, fed into the channel uh, ahead of time. And I do feel I have to ask them. And I will, I will go down to the questions that have the most thumbs up as we go. But I really have to start with this. Um, Don, meet Devin. <laughs> Can you please do your best troldite, tro, goodness, you right, troglodyte voice, please?
2: The
0: troglodyte people will run again. Wow. Oh my goodness. <laughs> okay, so just just for everyone's information out there, you do not have to be able to be like great with voices like this, but it certainly is fun. <laughs> All right. Um... Let's go to a different one here. What? Let's. Uh, I do want to ask. I'm gonna. I'm gonna go to the next question in this list, um, and then I'll skip down to some of the questions that you have interest first. But what are four things that every NPC needs, and the one thing that no NPC should have? And Gavin, I'd like to put that one to you. I think this is a, a great, a, a great item that you brought up. Let's uh, let's start there.
2: Okay, so I threw this into chat earlier, kind of as a, a bit of an adcosm, but I don't want to um, you know, eat up a ton of time going through my whole sort of scenario of NPCs, though I certainly can come back to in questions as we go. Uh, so I'm only gonna do a part answer at this point, and uh, I think it's one I'd like to hear the other panelists weigh in on. The one thing that absolutely no NPC should have to be uh, is plot art. And for anyone who's not familiar with that term, kind of a derogatory term to some extent that gets thrown around by players. When a GM's NPC cannot be killed in any way, PCs have no real way to affect them and they seem immune to the hazards of the world, uh, that NPC has plot armor. And I've seen that before, and I understand the rationale behind it, but to me, that is an absolute killer uh, for GMs to have. Because once your PCs realize an NPC has plot armor, they will not be able to resist doing things to test that. Uh, like standing next to them and dropping a fireball spell at their feet or pushing them down a uh, hallway of traps, that kind of thing.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh,
2: so, that's to me, is the number one thing that no PC should ever have, or NPC should ever have. But it goes a lot to my jamming style, where frankly, anything can happen if the PC
0: dry hard. That is really interesting. I think it would be kind of fun to try to blow yourself up with an NPC standing next to you personally, but. <laughs> <laughs> in any case I, I think that is a point uh, a point well taken um let's let's intersperse and we'll go down to uh another question here uh this one came from uh the avatar of my uh, that sounds Cthulhu-ish. it must be josh um the question is <laughs> how do you keep track of an expanding roster of nbc's personalities and hmm i feel like any of you could take this one up but let's hear from Devin,
1: because
3: aside from his voice, we haven't heard much uh, out of him yet. Um, yeah, uh, that can it can get really out of hand really quickly if you're not careful. Um, one of the techniques that I used was I would have like little cards with sort of like a, a portrait or a concept piece of the NPC. And just have like usually like a, a quick kind of core concept of that character of what they are, like uh, gambler, bully, um, something along those lines. And then I would have those all in front of me so that it, when I I could grab them at a glance because I know what they look like, which makes it a lot easier for me just to visually keep track of where they all are. And then uh, when I need to double check something on their personality or something like that, I can have all that stuff on the back and I can also make notes and things on the cards as well. Uh, That works well if you're doing things in person. If you're doing things online, then you can have like a big document open with all that kind of information as well. Um, But for the most part, I think as long as you can try and keep things written down and try to keep uh, things as brief as possible, uh, you don't necessarily need to write down their entire life story. You just need to have something that'll quickly remind you about What that character is like so that when you need to be them and make a decision uh, you have something to kind of ground you also if you're doing voices make a note of what voice you used.
0: so something about the motivations of that of that character and something to remind you of how they would act. and and the voices that's interesting too so how do you keep a voice with the character so you remember to use the same voice again
3: i mean the notes for that are going to be personal um, because you're going to draw your voices you're going to have names for your own types of voices the problem that uh, I, I run into a lot, and I know other people have this issue too, is that given enough time, all of my NPCs turn into town guard. Um, <laughs> so I have to make sure that I make a note. Like, this guy used the high-pitched goblin-like gnome voice. This guy is Arnold Portunet. This guy is Sylvester Stallone. You, you got you to gotta put things in there like that so that when six months later they come back to that character you remember what they sounded like and then zero oh. to. and if you and if you do it like me the voice helps inform the character like Absolutely. that's the reason I do voices yep we me get into that character a lot easier and kind of keep within that uh, that personality style of them so in that way it can also be a quick and easy way to remind you what kind of character is like just by telling with their voices uh
0: devin i think we need to hear those voices now you I, can start with the town guard and then go I into the so army <laughs> well, the, town,
3: the town guard is usually uh, quite low down, uh, very lazy, uh, quite laid back. Uh, he's not got a whole lot going on. Whereas the goblin and the gnome goblin, you gotta get all up there. And then sometimes they get
0: crazy. Oh my God. That's amazing. It's it's kind of actually kind of attractive, you know. When I hear those ones. Oh Yeah. Yeah, I like it. It's good.
3: Uh I I have done that thing where I've chosen a voice and then immediately regretted it.
0: (laughs) Just like that time. it kind of like everyone sounds like Elmo. Oh my goodness. wow
1: that is that is crazy. hey so can can i add on to that this is yes, this is alpha yes, um yeah and, and obviously i i i enjoy uh playing around with voices uh as well so i think one of the things that uh Devin i, I completely agree agree, uh, agree with is this idea of a cue so whether that's a card a written note or it's just a kind of concept in your head i remember i was talking with somebody actually in the chat and kind of saying you know well how do, how do you you know uh think about npcs and in in describe them and i always have like you know like a one word or maybe you know two to three words that kind of describe it like you know like crazy Sylvester Stone or you know whatever it is right then I try to relate it to some actor or, sh- or show character that I-, I-, I can actually kind of think of and that way they kind of meld in, in my mind. The other thing that I think happens with accents slash voices and no- noises is that i mean you know rightly or wrongly a lot of these things are tied to stereotypes that people have in their head and you know they're kind of linked to certain things uh from from a i guess a concept perspective so and again you know the, the this is a generalization it's obviously not you know completely all the time true but for example if you have an elf right um you know do your your stereotypical high elf or whatever is a very kind of haughty, very noble, almost like snootish kind of individual. So, if you had this type of like English accent or something posh or maybe use a French accent, something you know, like that, um, you know, it connotes, um, you know, essentially, you know, what what happens to go with the character. Or if you wanted to go with like somebody, you know, like, like you know, what, whatever it happens to be, right? You have some idea in your head and in fact, that's what kind of helps you kind of just take it over the top, right? So for me, if I'm trying to convey a certain sense, um, I do tend to go to those. And I recognize at the same times that they are tropes. And at the same time, sometimes you have to be kind of careful with, you know, what you're doing, right? Because you don't want to go too much into, you know, overt stereotypes, especially if, you know, they're harmful to people. But that's certainly one of the ways that, uh, you know, I take a look at it. So, you know, Devin, very much agree with that idea. That's something I do all the time, having that kind of cue on, uh, We know, what the NPCs are.
0: So uh, basically uh, what you're saying there, Alpha, mm-hmm. is that by taking on those uh, those tropes and, and um – bringing on that accent, speaking like the character helps you more to channel that kind of energy.
1: Absolutely. Right. And, and it, and it gets down to like, so we talked about breathing life into the characters, right? So what makes them a little bit more real? So obviously voices there, but it, it comes down to motivation and the stuff that they kind of know, you know, what are the ideas that, you know, they understand and like, you don't have to have the, the whole book, but you just have to have a core concept. So if it's a shopkeeper and the shopkeeper is really flamboyant, uh, Uh, You know, then you you have that kind of idea that you're really pushing on a a person and it should come out. And the other thing that I'm going to cue in on is Devin was talking about where does the voice resonate from, right? So he was doing the town guard and then he was actually dropping where the voice was coming from. But when he was doing the annoying goblin, it goes up into your throat. So there's almost a physical element to doing voices. But again, you know, voices isn't the only thing which makes an NPC. Obviously, you know, it makes it a little bit easier for those who are able to do it, um, but those are a couple of tricks.
0: Yeah. Um, I. I, I where voices don't. Right, and it's an interesting time here. Like, we're, we're largely playing, uh, you know, over over the internet, and we may or may not have a video going with that. And, and, Alpha you touched on another piece there as well. Like, we, we've talked uh, a bit about uh, voices in this context. And again, uh, coming back to those key being understanding those motivations what is this npc uh why does it matter if the party runs into them and uh what is this i think you both touched a bit on uh, what is this npc after what are they trying to achieve um and i'd like to throw this out to gavin as well because um we have a lot of um discussion around the voices but uh, i also have a lot of feedback uh, to suggest that uh, gavin is a master of um bringing together those uh, those uh just what the NPC is is, is about, and the, like the interactions with, with the characters. And that's certainly another part of the life here too. So, just putting the question to you, Gavin. Like, how do you keep those motivations? Like, keep a list of them. How those uh, characters interacting with the party and all that? Like, um, from from your point of view, which is uh, which is different from our other panelists?
2: Okay, uh, so here's where we kind of hit the four points thing. And I've actually just posted something in the seminar chat. Uh, because this is sort of an easier show-don't-tell situation. But what I've posted is a very small spreadsheet uh, that represents how I keep track of my NPCs and how I keep track of sort of what they're there for. And um, I've done a lot of these uh, as a GM <laughs> over the years, but I've gotten to the point where I've narrowed it down to pretty much what's on this uh, spreadsheet. I don't want to spend you know a ton of time on it, but I'm happy to come back to it. But I basically grab four four important things for every NPC. Uh, five if you count a name. By the way, names are important in name every NPC or be ready to do so because nothing kills game immersion. Like a PC asking what the name of a random character is, uh, random NPC is, and you go, uh, I don't know, and right away the PC goes, well, then they're not important.
1: Exactly. Uh, <clears throat>
2: so after the name roll I have there just to kind of remind me. Noticeable trait. What do they first? What's the first thing you notice about this person when you meet them? gossip uh, is something I always fill in. This mm-hmm. is what happens when I ask another NPC about that person. What are they going to tell me? And if you do this enough, your PCs will start meeting all of your NPCs because they're going to keep running around asking your NPCs about each other. Um,
0: I, I find this fascinating. I, I, I would love to uh, run into Ifixi just so I could. Uh, Smell the potatoes. <laughs> <laughs> the noticeable trait doesn't have to be set-based,
2: or, or it can be anything you think of that would be the first thing you notice. About.
1: Absolutely.
2: Uh, or first thing that jumps in. Uh, every NPC in my world always has a goal, and it's, it's always something concrete It's an action. Yep. Uh, it's never, you know, enjoy elven wines. Uh, it mm. also always has to be, you know, get a, a bottle of the 76-whatever uh, the clock here is something I ripped off wholesale from uh, Blades in the Dark, where basically this represents how close each NPC is to the completion of their goal. And after each session, I go to the PC goal and say, okay, did the PCs do anything to move their needle on this? Did they move mm-hmm. it up or down? Uh, then I'll go through and say, hey, is there anyone here that I just want to move their goal ahead because I've got a cool idea with it? And then finally, um, if I don't haven't moved enough ahead, I just roll random and bump a few up.
0: Well, wow, that's very interesting. So, and here
1: I was thinking you didn't do any notes at all, Gavin. And you just <laughs> no, kind of laid that completely out open.
0: Very limited notes
2: before the game session, and relatively detailed afterwards. And the last column there is the most important, and it's blank when you create your NPC. And it's why do they matter? And you fill that in when you make a connection with one of your PCs. You know, why do they matter? Why are they now important to your story? And mm-hmm. if you have an NPC cheat and you go through three, four or five sessions where they're around and you haven't filled yeah. that in mm-hmm, you either mm-hmm. need to change something or you need to get them out of your story. Yeah. Obviously they're not that interesting to your pieces.
0: Yeah. Wow, that, that's a really interesting tracker and uh, it's, it's not a one and done, it's an ongoing maintenance and it's sort of helping you to keep track of how the story is going. How, how well have you immersed your characters into the story with these NPCs and have you created the point where there's actually a tangible connection between them? Um, and that actually leads into the uh, next question that I'd like to ask from uh, from the avatar of Nair Lodotep. I'm not going to say that right. <laughs> avatar Josh. Um, and the question is, how do you help players have emotional connections to NPCs? And I'm going to just leave this one open to um, whoever wants to answer that one first.
1: I'll take... This one. Uh, So this isn't always the answer, but I, I know in past GM seminars we've talked about backstory and the importance of understanding or or having characters and players connect with the dm maybe as part of a session zero or whatever to sort of you know line things up so one of the things that i really enjoy whenever i get any form of backstory detail from my players i will try as much as possible to link those uh notes to an npc Right. So, and, and the NPC couldn't be directly associated with a player's character. It, or it could be indirectly. But the point is, is that, you know, your player has gone through the trouble to think about something about their character's backstory that has meaning to them. And so then the moment you create an NPC that has that connection, you barely have to do any work because the player is going to latch onto that and they're going to to say, oh, you know, this is part of my my character, this is part of my backstory, and I'm I'm going to have a vested interest to kind of find out a little bit more about them, because they've almost done half of the planning. So that's one of the things that I really try hard to do. And it's also another reason why I uh, usually solicit backstories from people, especially if I don't. Um, yeah, and this this is in a campaign setting. It's not the same for a one shot. But if we're doing a longer term storyline, I do want to hear, you know, what are those connections? points and i always try to build npcs and in fact i try to build organizations that are linked to those npcs which give opportunities for people to explore not just the npc but everything that's linked to that npc and of course that ideally links to my story as well
0: uh yes i I can i can vouch for that um timely true north i'm so looking forward to seeing him again
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, and, and that's the thing, like you and I, uh, Saz, we never talked about exactly what that character was. Right. And even to this point in game, we have not kind of met that character yet through something as simple as there's a wristwatch that he gave your character that creates this connection that's actually resonated and built, I think, tension and curiosity over about three to four episodes. And at some point when you meet him, it's going to be really interesting what I do and it's going to be interesting what you do. So, yeah, it's... uh, it's, it's a bit of a trick, but it's definitely something that I always try to do.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, Devin, would you like
3: to comment on this one as well? Um, I, I Pretty much spot on, Alpha. Um, I will say that sometimes you don't have to try at all, and your random guy you wrote two lines on becomes the husband of one of your players.
1: Yes, <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> and that's the best when, when something like that happens, it's pure improv and all of a sudden this, you know, minor NPC becomes a major part of the storyline. I love that stuff as a GM. It's just the best.
3: Yeah, a lot of the times you just have to, I mean, eventually uh, they meet enough NPCs. Some They're going to get attached to somebody because just something's going to click, something's going to come in right. And uh, when it does, then that's how you know that, okay... Care. And see, like, what I like to do is I just make a bunch of surface level NPCs, and then I see which ones the players gravitate towards, and then I start flushing them out because I know I'm going to need it. Uh, that can way, can you talk a little bit? Prep.
0: Can you talk a little bit more about that surface level? Like, what are the pieces in in the surface? Like, it sounds like you're creating different flavors of people and putting them out there as options, like almost like uh, different lures of bait, like if you were fishing, and and see which which one appeals to the to the players
3: yeah uh i mean you're basically kind of writing them as sort of like hooks so because here's the thing you can write you can come up with a really awesome npc get a really cool description really awesome backstory uh and put them in the caravan with the group and then also in the caravan is that random tanner who is like a crazy old hermit who likes to sing songs and drink himself into a stupor guess which one the party's going to want to spend more time with
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> so
3: I, I learned a long time ago to not bother uh-uh. trying to come up with really awesome backstories and, and interesting, super detailed stuff for NPCs, unless they're already pre-established as part of the plot, and uh, there's already a reason to do that, uh, because more often than not, the, character, the NPCs I have to flesh out are the ones that I had nothing for, and then the players decide to spend 15 minutes having a conversation about their past.
0: Hmm. Interesting. Uh, Yadim, um, in, 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 terms,
3: in terms, of sorry, I, I actually I didn't actually completely answer your question. In terms That's okay, of go like, ahead. in terms of like actually what you would start like have is sort of like a surface level. Uh, usually, I would say just like a description, um, a kind of way that they present themselves, and a goal that they have. And with that, you can kind of easily branch out because you can you can uh, determine a lot about an NPC based on how they look, how they present themselves, and what their goals are. You can infer a lot and a lot of it can kind of be built up on the fly as they interact uh and then you can always go back later and, and build it up when you have more prep time later
0: mm-hmm. okay uh, thank you devin uh and gavin do you have anything to add about creating emotional connection to npcs
2: um, yeah a couple of real quick tips uh, the first one is one that i fall into as gms all the time if, uh, as a gm if i'm all the time if i'm not careful so it's something I really push myself on. Uh, it's really important to have your NPCs relate to your characters or your player characters as individuals and not as a group. Uh, it's easy for a GM to always be addressing the whole group. And realistically, even if you know everybody's present, there's no reason that an NPC isn't going to key on in on one particular individual. They find interesting or more respectable or attractive than the others. Uh, And every NPC should really kind of have their PC in the group that they're more interested in interacting Mm. with. Uh, And that's a really good way to form that emotional bond. And also, uh, ideally, if you can, what you want is you want a PC interested in an NPC and then the NPC interested in another PC. Because some of the best role-playing comes out of PC-NPC-PC triangles. So you really want to try to build those those whenever (laughs) you can. Uh, If you do it right, you'll know it because the NPC will leave the scene. And the two PCs will spend the next ten minutes talking about the NPC.
0: Wow! Uh, could you give an example of that?
2: Um, yeah. So one that I I really enjoy using, and it, and I, I'm big on tropes. I love my tropes. I love my cliches. Uh, one that I'm really big on is whenever an NPC or whenever a PC is seeking out somebody to train them in something, I will have the trainer take, uh, oftentimes, take an interest in one of the other PCs, either because they think they see a spark in them or they're attracted to them, or they remind them of their, you know, daughter, son, father, mother, whatever works best. Um, but I'll also always try to get, if I have a PC and PC relationship, I'll always try to drag another PC into itself.
0: Hmm. Interesting. Very interesting. Uh, okay. Um, I'd just like to throw out to everyone who is listening here. I, I know that uh, many of you will have played with uh, with our three panelists tonight, uh, Davin Alpha, and Gavin, uh, and if there's a favorite character NPC uh, that you've come across in any of their campaigns, I'd love to hear from you on what that, who that NPC was, what you liked about them, uh, and we can always put our panelists uh, on the spot to breathe life into them for us now, maybe just to uh, throw out a scenario or scene that you'd like to see as well. I'm just putting that out there now. Uh, feel free to add that into the, the questions section and we can add that into our list as well. Um, I'm going to go to the next question, which is from Storytime. Uh, and the question is, uh, in my last campaign, my players didn't like any of my shopkeepers, but they liked, they liked the smith, the armory, and the gold exchange, etc. What should I be doing for shopping episodes?
1: Uh,
3: so if you want them to, so like... Liking uh, shop NPCs, I, I wouldn't say they have to necessarily like them all. Um, it, you know, it's okay to have a shopkeeper that's a, just a real jerk. Because that also is interesting. It's
1: personality.
3: Um, yeah. Uh, I find, so the, I, I've seen the word caricature kind of get thrown around the chat a little bit. Uh-huh. There's, I don't think there's anything wrong with that for one-off NPCs. Uh-huh. Uh, if you want to make, so here's the thing. the way i look at it if you're doing a shopping episode you can do it one of two ways you can just say all right here's all the different stuff you can buy here's all the costs here's all the different shops that are in this place and just get it done or if you want to do it as role playing then what you can do is you know make try to make them have at least one quirk so to give you some examples the smith could maybe be a dwarf who actually just wants to make uh, metal sculptures, but there's no market for that. So instead, he has to work as a blacksmith. He hates every second. <laughs> yeah. Um, you can have a store merchant who used to be called Crazy Al, but he went to therapy and now he's okay, and now he's just well-adjusted Al. Uh, you let him. <laughs> yeah. You can have uh, you can have, a, you can have a, a tailor who is more interested in rare fabrics and has does not care about linen and, and wool and, and will actively refuse to accept or, or deal in anything about that. Uh, so you, know, you can have a, a a shield merchant who thinks that wooden shields are better than metals no matter oh. what evidence you give him. Oh you my know, gosh. Just little things like that. Just one, one, one or two quirks because that's really all you need. You don't need to, to come up with big, fleshed-out, powerful, uh, evoking characters for shopkeepers. You can, but if every single shop was run by this really, you know, retired veteran adventurer who's seen all and done all these things or the son of a noble who's run away from home to live a life in in the merchant's uh, part of town. It just kind of starts to become a bit crazy that there's so many people doing this. And every now and again, when they meet a normal merchant, they're going to praise hallelujah God kind
1: of <laughs> that's right you yeah, don't I, have to I, you don't have to negotiate you don't have to kind of wheel and deal and put up with the things it's just i just yeah, want to I buy to a to rope was trying to sell you griffin grease exactly i love it i love it
0: <laughs> but i did like crazy owl. like really that was that was fun <laughs> uh alpha can you um please uh, uh bring our march warden uh, to the table
1: okay well and it's interesting because i saw a comment from um from uh from josh kind of you know Talking about stereotypes and stuff like that. So just backstory. Uh, and, and you would know this if you listen to my podcast, but, uh, he is basically a, a satyr, a satyr. Um, and he is, uh, sort of kind of a merchant in the fae wild, right? So everyone knows that if you make a deal with somebody in the fae wild, you have to kind of watch out. So I play him like this and it's sort of a mix between Jamaican and something from Africa. Nigeria, whatever. And then so I do that and I speak to people like that. And then I really try to ooze it in and just make sure I'm talking to them directly. So, you know, obviously it's a stereotype. Um, And, and, I, I actually want to go back to, you know, the, the, those four points or whatever. So I was reading what I was kind of writing down for myself. One is, you know, something that's a cue, personality, motivation and quirks. And I, I kind of put the note like larger than life. Right. And so I do think when you have an MC, MPC, and I totally agree with Devin that you don't and you shouldn't do it for all, but you know, there are those ones that y- you, you want to make them memorable. Right. They have to have something about them that is. Unique, that is difficult, that is challenging, that is humorous. And those are the things that people are going to want to kind of, uh, you know, cue, in t- cue into. And I would even argue that from a role playing perspective, if you have to dig deeper, because you can't get facts out of an NPC without playing to their quirks, that just adds a little bit more to the immersion, and it builds your investment in that character, right? So if, you know, sometimes maybe it makes it difficult to deal with them because they're so crotchety, or maybe they're absent-minded, or, you know, maybe they're really attracted to you, and they're just, you know, not even listening to you and what you have to say, but they're, you know, they're kind of flirting with you. Like, all of those things... uh, give a sense of something other that you have to kind of role play into. It. And it really does help kind of, you know, get the conversation going right, wrong or indifferent.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think, I think that the, with that particular example with the, the March Gordon, um, he was in a unique place that you can't just go like down the street and see him every day. So uh, I think that there's also something about the the setting and the time to, to make that big versus to you know say okay well let's speed this along i'm just here to pick up some supplies real quick yep. um, and then like you know i think devin said as well like you unless they're like you know have some tangent or, or play a different part in the story or something that uh, that becomes a hook. Uh, it, it sounds like it also is uh, is largely driven by the uh, the players and where their interests are are lying what they're interested in in, uh, in pursuing and investigating with with the npcs which is um you know, part of what we're talking about here is uh, how to how to be how to make them engaging and, and interesting, which obviously isn't going to be every NPC that they that they ever ever meet. Um, I like to go on to next question here. Let me see. Um, um, okay, uh, here's a question from Grim Grimly: uh, How much role playing is necessary for role playing to kick in? I'm thinking of social interaction checks, like intimidation checks. A lot of systems have strong systems to track physical interactions, like hit points, but not social interactions. So my NPCs tend to collapse after an awesome yet single social check. Ooh.
3: As much as you want. Um, you don't... It's, it's, so I think the reason that... Uh, I, I agree. A lot of systems, I think, could use a bit more verbose writing when it comes to dealing with social encounters. Uh, especially them and dragons because they treat them like skill encounters when they really should be something else. But uh, it's really up to you. If You you can literally just have them approach the guards and say, the guards deny you passage. And they say, okay, I make a persuasion check to tell them, to, to, to convince them to let us through. Okay, make your roll. Okay, you succeeded. They let you through. And that can mm-hmm. be it. If mm-hmm. that's all that you you and your players want to do, that's all you have to do. If you want to do like a proper conversation, you can. If you want to do some, sometimes do conversation, sometimes just hand wave over it and skip ahead because you don't think it's it's going to be pertinent to do that role play. You can do that. Uh, if you want to, if you're talking about mechanics, um, going back to that kind of scenario where you go to the guards and make that persuasion check, I think the, the question should be: Do you? get them to make the check first and then role play how that happens so if they fail how do they fail if they succeed how do they succeed or do you get them to role play first and then make the check but then the problem there of course being if they did if they had a really good point they made a really good argument and then they rolled the guards don't let them through and you can decide whether you want to do it that way or you can decide that you know what that makes perfect sense you've convinced me so this guard is convinced and he just lets you through you don't need to make a check Mm -hmm. the danger of that is that a lot of uh, I mean, a lot of people who play these games are not exactly what I would call charismatic. Uh but, <laughs> including myself. Uh-oh. Including myself. Dangerous uh, territory. But uh, my point, be, my point being, we're not all as smart as the the, the, the computer wizard or the, the wizard. Um, we're not all as strong as the barbarian or the mm-hmm. uh, the. Ath- we're not. Right. You know, we're not all as charismatic as the bard or the politician. And, and that's uh, some of how
0: we play, isn't it? So that we can exactly. pretend like we are so,
2: that.
3: so trying to base someone's success in a social encounter on what they're actually doing in their role-playing, uh, your mileage can vary on who exactly you're, you're, you have as a player in that regard. So I, that's, I think, where the skill checks can come in is because then you can say, okay, you know, I have no idea how to talk my way into a city gates, but this guy I'm playing totally does. So, I'm going to just make a roll and we don't need to role play that. Whereas, if you want to get into a discussion at a bar and the guy's like, oh, oh I, I know like 30 different types of drinks and I'm going to have this huge conversation with the bartender,
1: <laughs> go for it. <laughs> role
3: play where you want to roleplay. play. Don't roleplay play where you don't want to roleplay. play. There, there's no hard or fast rule on that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, I think uh, there was one game where I was ordering whiskey just to hear your Kenku
3: voice. hear <laughs> <laughs> the parrot Kenku. Yeah. Uh, can I
0: get a whiskey, please? <laughs> thank you uh yeah and that's an excellent point too because uh, it it needs to be accessible and it needs to be fun and it's not fun if it goes too far out of a comfort zone or if you can't uh, ever achieve something that your character is you know really good at on on paper um so i think that's got to be uh an important uh, piece of it And, and certainly i think as a player it's nice to have some successes with your NPCs or or the interaction that goes your way or doesn't go your way in an interesting way. and uh, So I think that um, those are all the points uh, around that. I'm gonna skip back up here. Um, Gavin, I wanna ask your question. Uh, why you hate retired ex-adventurer in OCs. Okay, so
2: I was posting a little bit about this in the chat, and uh, one of the things I posted was, you know, ask me about Forgotten Realms after I've had a couple of years. I'm not going to go at Forgotten Realms tonight. I do want to say that I think it is a lovingly rendered uh, role-playing setting, and there's tons of people who love to play in it and more power to them. But the reason that I get frustrated with retired adventurers is that for me um uh, i'm very much in the storytelling mode, mode as a gm uh, everything is about my players and the most interesting moments of my players life should be what happens in our game shouldn't be something that happened in their backstory shouldn't be something that happens i'm not doing the prequels we're doing the real star wars trilogy here today and i extend that to npcs to me retired adventurers um are dull NPCs because the most interesting thing that was going to happen to them has already happened before your players ever showed up.
0: Yeah. If I'm a
2: retired NPC, it's going to be somebody who ripped off his entire party and ran away, and now his party's still looking for him, and they're going to show up while the PCs are around because the most exciting stuff that happens to my NPCs should be related to my players. And to me, retired adventures go across that whole uh, or run run counter to that whole principle.
0: Interesting. Um, and actually, I think that uh, goes well into the next question that I wanted to ask here, which is, how do you build a good, memorable antagonist? This one's from Terry. Uh, who would like to take that one up?
2: I just went, but I've got a real quick thing that I try to do as often as possible. It's about the simplest thing you can do to make a villain that will absolutely infuriate your PCs. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is basically when the villain shows up, do everything you can to put them in a position where the PCs are not justified in killing. And either don't have them break a the law, have them show up in neutral ground, even just have like your villains be really polite to your PCs in their face. I love it. Don't give them that to go for their swords or go for their fireballs because nothing... Nothing drives both players and characters out of their minds more than having all these combat stats on their ship and <laughs> some jackass making them feel like idiots and they can't go to any of them. And they will hate that villain for the rest of their days. No, I you love sniff it. Them on a tip. They will track him down at 20th level when they can. And, uh, because oh, my goodness. I, I,
0: I, I dread to see what will come of this. Uh, alpha is certainly taking notes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's that's a really great suggestion.
3: Yeah, um, I I would agree with uh, what Gavin was saying there. Um, <coughs> the best villain is a frustrating villain. Um, you want your players to hate the villain. Uh, I think that that's really important. Um, there's all, there, there's there's kind of two types of villains. There's the morally gray villain, mm-hmm. and there's the evil bastard villain. Um, mm-hmm. Nine times out of ten it's going to be more satisfying and more enjoyable for the players to defeat the just wretched, monstrous person mm-hmm. that it is going to be for them to fight the one who is essentially doing what he believes to be right, but is doing it in a way that is not going to end well for the majority of what the players care about. Uh, that has its place, um, but for a big end boss, you want, assuming that you're doing sort of an adventure type game. You want them to feel uh, heroic upon defeating the enemy. You don't want them to be sitting there being horribly depressed because they had to kill that person that they've secretly been adventuring with this whole time and they really liked them. And it wasn't until they learned that I, they're actually doing this thing that's going to cause all these problems. Um, whereas on the other hand, if it's that guy is like, he's, he, the guy's linked into the background. He burned my house down. Uh, he stole my sheep. And uh, every time we met him, he my sheep. The, pin- the pinnacle of nobility, and he's this <laughs> super rich guy who's got all these bodyguards, and he can hire assassins and miserable for years. When they finally defeat him, that's going to be the most satisfying experience they're ever going to have.
1: Yeah, I, I was gonna tie in, in into that comment, Devin. Um, mm-hmm. You got me kind of thinking while while you're talking, right? Um, so, uh, your your players over the course of time will start to be invested in a lot of different things, right? You know, maybe it's a headquarters that they're building, or maybe it's the community that they're protecting, or or whatever. And you know, definitely when your villain is revealed to be the source of, you know, endangerment to those things that you're invested in, whether it's family or, you know, uh, you know, people that you've kind of built up or whatever, or even things you've accumulated. Um, I think that, you know, every time that, that villain kind of, you know, becomes, Um, identified as the root cause of that, that just adds more to what the, what the players want. But the other one I was going to throw in there is, is betrayal, right? If you meet up with a, a person who you think is really, you know, seems to be on the up and up and everything is really good, but you know, what if that person were to backstab or to do something very unsavorable? And because you trusted that individual and all of a sudden that trust is being completely burned, you're gonna remember that, right? And you're gonna want revenge. So uh, those are a couple other things I'd throw in there.
0: Thank you, Alpha, for uh, for adding adding to that. Um yeah, it's it's interesting. Uh, and sorry, but there was a uh, there was an additional comment to to that last question, which was something about um, creating this uh, interesting villain without giving him that twirling mustache. But <laughs> I think I think you've answered it uh, uh, in in that regard as well. But I want to touch on something. I think it was Devin said as well, uh, and certainly I think Gavin said something on this note earlier um, uh, about we got morally gray and then the, the evil bastards. Uh, and then there's that part about making connections with one of our your players and that they are talking about the NPC uh, like 10 minutes after they leave. Uh, and it sounds like a really powerful combination if you can weave uh, all of that together into into that evil bastard or or have it be that he's uh, he's just this terrible guy and then all of a sudden you you learn this other side to him and you feel sorry. And it's, uh, I think uh, one of you mentioned about not... not like not being able to just pull out your sword and just kill him because it's not, you know, it doesn't, doesn't seem like the right action at that time, either because it's prohibited or it just your mood towards him is changing. And I, I find that um, very interesting as a player to to have that kind of encounter.
3: If you could pull up the trifecta, it is
2: the most. Yeah, um... I will say the most powerful villain in any game setting, in any world, anywhere, is the one that only half the party is uh, has decided to kill, and the other half are still on the fence. They oh can- my gosh. Want.
0: Half the party wants to kill an NPC and the other half uh, doesn't. Uh, Gavin, do you have an NPC that uh, you can tell us a little bit about that uh, that meets, um, meets those requirements?
2: <laughs> I do. Um, so... This is, I, I don't have a specific NPC because for the most part, until they show up in the game or I sort of scribble some notes on a napkin just before I, I start, uh, they don't exist. But what I do have is a lot of uh, tropes, basically, or, or sort of existing personalities that I will slide into NPCs all over the place. And one of my favorites uh, that I use a lot, I kind of refer to in my head is the vulture. And the vulture has a couple key characteristics. Um, one is, the big thing for the Vulture, their driving bull, no matter what kind of game system the world they're in, is they are there to steal from the PC.
1: You know? <laughs>
2: and that can be stealing their gold, stealing their credit, um, stealing whatever the PCs think is valuable, the vulture is going to try to steal it. But the thing about the Vulture, and the thing that hopefully keeps the Vulture alive, one of two things. Either the Vulture is completely non-violent, uh, will never attempt to take anything by violence, it's always by stealth, uh, which makes it very hard in a lot of standard fantasy worlds to justify, you know, just lifting up a mace and you know, bludgeoning their brains out. Scrupulously polite, and ideally kind of charming. Uh,
3: mm-hmm. Usually
2: I have them play as something uh, that's going to relate to somebody in the party. So if there's a thief in the party, they're going to be the thief's rival, or are going to try to push themselves that way. Okay. If there's an older cleric in the party, they're going to be the poor little lost urchin in need of redemption. <laughs> uh, but regardless, uh, the Vulture is always going to show up. He, he's the one or she's the one or whomever they get uh, are the ones who wait outside the dungeon until the PCs come out and try to rest them and then just rifles through their backpacks and runs off into the night. Uh, so they're chasing the Vulture down. And then on the flip side, the Vulture is also a pretty good one to go to when they get into a rivalry with another group of PCs because uh-huh. the Vulture steals from everybody. So... If you know that the, you know, Glorious Order of Galadriel uh, managed to pull a magic item out of a tomb that you need and you don't know where it is or how to get it, the Vulture might be your best friend if you can find it. So always, I always like to try to create NPCs that are useful to the PCs, even if they are their rivals or even their villains. Uh, it keeps them around. Them.
0: Interesting. I, I can see, how, again, like there's that linkage to... Um one or more of the the, the the characters in the party and that creates that tension that that interest uh and and also i guess that, uh, that that emotional investment of oh but i was trying to help you and then you stole from me uh anything that brings about that kind of uh, emotional laundry uh, and that's that's interesting um you know even uh devon the uh, uh in murderous shadows like catching the uh uh, the basilisk uh, it was like we reached that point where we had him and it was like in it's like oh my gosh like i, I think we just didn't really want to hurt him <laughs> we were like how do we how do we handle this now and and getting creative in that moment as to um how to uh, how to deal with that uh, that npc and uh, i will say as a as a player um just the experience of that was like I I forgot that you were the game master. I, I was so immersed in in the game and that just being a character that I, I forgot that you were you were playing him. Uh, I, I, I think that I think that many people on this call, having played with uh, you know all three of you or um, you know other uh, great GMs that we have um, in our in general, have also had those experiences um, a number of times, uh, a number of times over, which is really awesome.
3: I don't know whether you be flattered or worried that <laughs> that was the
0: character that you, you attached
3: on
2: to me.
0: Well, it was just, <laughs> <I'm> sorry, Devin, <laughs> flattered, <laughs> flattered for sure, because I, I kept him, his, uh, his personality was completely separate from yours. <laughs> I didn't see him. <laughs> um, and, and it was just an example of, uh, you know, like we were, it was a quandary, like how do we actually handle this uh, situation? And then, uh, we had some very creative uh, people in, in our
1: group. So, so for a bit satisfying. of bit of context here, so I'm also a player in that specific game, and and the villain we're talking about here was just a heinous, heinous <laughs> individual, right? And and Devon played him so much to the hilt that even when we were just watching the guy from afar, like I remember my character reacting, I want to kill him now, you know, like not yeah. wait for the like i mean and so devin you had done just such a good job of evoking just such a horrible individual um and so rounding that out just made it it, it was it was as a magical experience so yeah kudos to you mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. yeah and then another thing that i've noticed also like uh, just as a general theme is uh is just those little points like like the, the details about what does this person look like what are they what are they doing are they uh, like nice is sitting there, um he kind of on the he's got that axe, and he's, you know, just, <laughs> everyone's afraid to go near him for, for fear of getting burnt uh, or turned into shadow. Just these these images, they create this uh, impression of what this NPC is is like, even if you're not uh, in front of them interacting with them. You have, I was getting these um, images in my mind of, of, of how they actually were, and, I, and I'd say that's one of the things that I've uh, enjoyed as a player as well. I wanna to go to another question here that we have in our in our list. It's uh have you ever run an encounter where the PCs come across a rival or other adventuring party? Uh Alpha, do you wanna take that one?
1: Oh, why, of course. Um, that's my specialty. Yeah, well, and and, and and say that a little bit in jest. So in my DD campaign, it's it's an acquisitions incorporated campaign. So it's actually based on the idea that, you know, there are a bunch of people out there and they're they're they have their adventuring franchise, right? And they're out there, not really to be the saviors of the universe or all that kind of stuff. They're just really out there to make a dollar. And in that particular particular you know setting and universe there is a there is definitely competitive rivals in, in 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 alternate corporation right and so those guys are right in there and uh you know it's it's again it's part of I, what i wanted to say i think in general right is your mpcs are actually the vehicle By which you express everything about, uh, your campaign setting and your world, right? And so I know it's, it's, it's interesting to talk about the, um, you know, what you do from a world building perspective. Um, and yes, of course, you have to, you know, think about geography and, and economics and religion and things like that, but nothing brings a world to life more than, your players interacting with the NPCs who then give your world a voice and give your world, um, you know, some, some life. So, um, yeah, w- you know, whether it's, uh, you know, a rival uh, adventuring party or, you know, kind of a key individual or, or whatever, I think that's really, really key to, uh, to actually do. So it's a, it's a big thing with me. Yeah.
0: I feel that there's a bit more of that uh, coming. We've, we've certainly touched on it in Tides of Change and, um, the uh, the rival branch um and you talked I, I just think you hit on a really important uh, point there alpha you said npcs are the vehicle by which you express the campaign setting and your world i, I think that's a really powerful um way to say it and, and certainly what comes to mind to me as you say that is the um just the experience of uh, dealing with the with the corporate people at acquisitions incorporated <laughs> like going through that as a interview process and uh you know just uh getting out on the first assignment for Siona. That was, that was a very interesting experience. Um, could you, could you um, play a corporate character? Say <laughs> if we have uh, in front of you is a new, a new, um, uh, a new franchisee. Uh,
1: oh goodness. Uh, <laughs> man, I, I don't know <laughs> if I can do it entirely on, on the spot, but, but I, sorry, what I'll do to answer that is, um, uh, Whenever you have your NPC and you have your NPC's voice, at least from, I think, a realistic role-playing perspective, I do try to make it as real to life as possible, right? So mm-hmm. I have one character, Penny, and she's like an HR person and she's really proud of it. And she doesn't let anybody tell her, you know, what is the difference? And so if you have a performance improvement situation, or maybe I have to have, you know, you, uh, you know, have a disciplinary action or something, or maybe, you know, it's like a, you have to pay your union I'm bringing in these elements that other people understand in the real life, but now applying it to this character. So you start to make a linkage between real life and some of your experiences there, and you build your own stereotypes, and then you layer them on top of this other person who is just a stereotype anyways. And so that's kind of how I do it. (laughs)
0: <laughs> thank you, Alpha. Uh, I,
1: I, I had to get ahead. into mode a little bit. Sometimes I, I have difficulty slipping into it if I'm talking about something else. But you know, whatever.
0: Right, right. I, I, I can see that being a challenge. We've got you in serious mode as opposed to the Robin Williams mode. <laughs> that's fine. Um, but thank you, thank you for that. That's uh, that's that's also interesting, um, Gavin. I want to come to you with uh, just a, a comment that uh, that I, I, I've heard uh, come up. Uh, around uh, some organizations in in your campaigns, can you talk a little bit about that? It seems to be um, something interesting. Something interesting about organizations taking on a special function in, in your campaign world.
2: Yeah. So a lot of this comes from me having recently run a lot of Blades in the Dark and Scum and Both of those run off the Forged in the Dark engine, and a big part of those systems is that. The world is made up of factions, and all these factions are trying to get stuff done. That's where I stole the clocks from. Uh, Organizations as NPCs, which is to say, you know, maybe not non-player characters, but non-player entities, have a lot of advantages. Uh, They can generate those sort of mooks and minions when you need people who can just be knocked down on route to the next scene to show how great the PCs are. And the advantages of having your NPCs tied to factions is... Um, it makes them a little less disposable because the PCs have to know if you, you know, take out a member of, uh-huh. uh, for example, the Hive, which is the big mafia in one of the Blades of the Dark Worlds, uh, other members of the Hive are going to come looking for them. Uh, taking out, you know, the underboss just means the boss is coming down the pike next while right? you're uh, looking to see what uh, went wrong with the underboss. Um, so there's a lot of value for organizations there. And as your players sort of scale up in, whether it be in d d sort of individually Individual firepower, or as the players scale up in other worlds in terms of contacts or resources, organizations can keep pace with them in a way that individuals can't. Unless you want to have, for some reason, you know, now that the players have hit level fifteen, um, suddenly all the enemies <coughs> that they had when they were levels are now are now level fifty, mm-hmm. uh, which kind of makes gaining levels kind of pointless. But if it's organizations, you can just show them more and more of the organization as you go on or have it amalgamate with others or be absorbed by others. And there's always a ready-made reason as to why the enemies that you had at first level are still around at 15, 12 or so.
0: Mm-hmm. I see. I'm, I'm detecting a theme here. I, I feel that all three of you are doing this, and I, I feel like I should be worried. <laughs>
1: Which Gavin like, I, honestly that that was an amazing point and I wish I kind of thought about it kind of talking about factions because factions definitely uh it it, it gives you another thing to hang uh, your characters on and again kind of link back to the world right and you think about you know what are we talking about today we're talking about how do you breathe life in your characters right and so a lot of the things are at the end like without overthinking what it is about your character like you you're giving Giving them traits or physical descriptions or things and, and organizations that they belong to and motivations that tie into you know their personality and it's all of those things that really you know if if this were to happen in real life I mean this is you know where people you know become more interesting or whatever because they have more connections and more things like that right so in answer to how do you breathe life into your NPCs try to make them live right um, and and tie them into real life. Things things and real life motivations and understand that, um, you know, you don't have to plan the whole Bible story. But if you have that as a general idea, and you hold that in your head, and you can say so and so is a member of the mafia, then right away, you already have something there. And then you can do, you know, weird, uh, you know, mob boss voices, and then you start going down the, the route of, uh, you know, uh, the Godfather, or, you know, what have you, right. And, you know, obviously depends on what, what you have to do. But there's so many links that you can make from those connections to just kind of build it along.
0: Okay, we've got about uh, two minutes left. Um, I'd like to put it to each of you if there's anything uh, important or that you'd like to, to uh, recap on um, or that perhaps that hasn't come up yet that you'd like to comment on before we close out. Um, Devin, can we start with you?
3: I guess just uh, kind of a re-emphasis on giving your NPCs a goal, something to accomplish. Because I find if you give them a, enough of a personality and a goal, you can pretty much do whatever you need to do with them on the spot. You know what they want. You know what they're like. You know how they're probably going to achieve those goals and how important those goals are to them. So whatever happens to that character, you can make a pretty educated guess as to how they will react. And once I learned that, uh, it's it made everything just so much
0: easier. <laughs> I recall you saying in a previous session that you hardly do prep anymore, so I feel like this is part of a key to that. Uh, Gavin, uh, would you like to add some closing comments? Yeah, um, I'm just going to
2: sort of reiterate again, much as Devin did. Uh, for me, the number one question that a GM should always be asked about each of their NPCs is why do they matter to my PCs? And If you can't come up with a reason for that, either before you introduce them or after you've introduced them, um, you need to reconsider. Is this an NPC that needs to be in there or can I move them back in favor of other NPCs the characters respond better to? Uh, or do I have to start change something? Do I have to make something happen that makes these NPCs uh, matter to my PCs? Because if you if your NPCs don't matter to your PCs, they're just sort of background scene.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, that's also a great point. Um, Alpha, uh, final closing comment for Yeah, it's, it's
1: interesting. I I think uh, I... I, I might have a slightly different motivation for myself personally. <laughs> and generally it's just about me having fun and, and picking, <laughs> p- picking, picking something that I know I'm going to have a good time role playing with. Yeah. And yes, all of the things that you guys have been saying are absolutely true. I think in general, I I tend towards the comedic in a lot of my games, not all. Um, but, uh, you know, if, if I'm entertained by it, um, I have a general sense that, you know, hopefully my players will be. So that's a little bit, I don't know, it's more laissez-faire, I suppose. But I mean, everything that they've been saying about, you know, cue and personality and motivation, things like that are absolutely true. But I, I do think for me, what motivates it is, does it entertain me? And, and you know, will it uh, hopefully entertain my players?
0: Oh, that's fantastic. I, I think this is great. We had, um, a, we had a lot of commonality in, in the responses, but we also had some diversity which is which is wonderful because we're all different in the way that we approach game we, we approach um, bringing a character to life, and there are so many options, and that's one of the wonderful things about uh, about these role playing games and uh, the options that exist and the, the avenues that we can explore. So that was fabulous. I, I'd like to thank uh, all of you for um, uh, for attending, for uh, Gavin, uh, Alpha, and uh, Devin for participating as panelists tonight and everyone who has uh, joined our call. It's, uh, it's, it's been really fun to, to go over this with, uh, with the group. So thank you again. And um, I see that there's some lively chat going on in the seminar chat. Feel free to uh, continue the discussion there. And I think we have another session planned, uh, certainly a lot of discussion coming up about future seminars. If you haven't seen the, um, the, the, uh, Way called the poll that uh, that, that Rat Queen uh, Katie has posted. Um, please do check that out and be sure to be sure to vote. And we will keep these uh, sessions going as uh, as we have the interest. Thanks, everyone. Have a great night.
3: We're not back, wherever you go.
0: Good night, all.
2: Thanks, everyone.